Father, we give you thanks and praise for this day. Father, we give you thanks and praise for this week. Lord, uh, anoint your servant, anoint your people with ears to hear and hearts to receive today. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. And Father, we just thank you for your word. Your word is just awesome, Lord. And, And as we begin this study, Father, we would just ask that your Holy Spirit not just give us the logos of the word, but also give us the rhema of the word as well. Be with us tonight, Holy Spirit, and minister to us. I empty myself as an empty vessel for your use and for your honor and for your glory. Satan, we put you on notice. You're not welcome in this place. We bind you. We cast any spirit not of the Holy Spirit out of this place. We command you to go wandering in dry places. You're bound. We're loosed. You're cast out. And Father, we just deploy angels to stand around right now and protect this place. Lord, so that your word, the teaching of your word, not be hindered. We give you thanks and praise tonight, Lord. Speak to your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight we're going to study the book of Ephesians. Those of you uh, that know that uh, I attend a Calvary Chapel here in Orlando, Calvary Chapel teaches the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And it really is a great way to study the Bible because really what it gives us the opportunity to do is to dig in to the Word. I think that sometimes um, we get caught up in this whole thing about you know quantity versus quality. How to read the Bible in a year. How to read the Bible in two years. How to read the Bible in a week. You know, And the reality is that as believers... What are we going to do? You're going to read the Bible in a year and then you're going to turn around and start reading the Bible again. You see, so it really doesn't make sense to start reading the Bible in a year. The Bible is like sipping a good wine or eating a nice tasty piece of meat. You know, you, you want to savor it. You want to look at a, a scripture and you really want to focus in on it and know what is the Holy Spirit trying to tell me. And there's a couple of different ways that we're to study the Bible. And since, uh, since we started this, this community Bible study, we've been doing a lot of topical teaching, okay, where we'll, we'll pick a, a topic and then we'll, we'll, we'll build around it and we'll find a biblical premise for it. And we've had a great time Amen? But now it's time to really, I think, get into the Word and start looking at what the Lord is going to reveal to us, both with what's on the written page and through the power of His Holy Spirit. What you hold in your hands is not just a book. This is not like the latest Grisham novel or the the latest Daniel Steele novel or, or the latest Get Rich Quick book or whatever. This is the living Word of God. The book that you're holding in your hand is actually the key or the, 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 the vehicle that God uses in the physical to reveal to you something in the spiritual. How many of you guys remember when you were, when you were non-believers and you look at the Bible and you go, what the heck is this thing saying? You really didn't understand it, did you? I know I didn't. It sounded like a bunch of gobbledygook. And then you start throwing in the King James English, of course, and, and that even makes it even crazier for me. 
You know, um, I personally, when I want to get into the Bible and study, I use software to to look at different things and the, the Greek and the and the uh, and the Hebrew and the Aramaic and all that stuff. But really, when I read on a day to day basis, I'll be happy reading the Amplified Bible, the New International Version, or the New American Standard Version, or sometimes the New King James Version. Although the the, the New King James still has enough of that these and thous to kind of trip me up a little bit. But I know that there's a couple of you guys here that that read the King James and, uh, and you know, don't worry, I won't hold it against you. But, um, but really, the, the King James is not the true translation and everything else is junk. And the other ones are not the true translation and everything else is junk. God can use a donkey to reveal his thought and his word to you. Amen. Okay, he doesn't need to use a particular thing or whatever. God can use whatever he wants. He's the God of the universe. He's the creator of all things, you see. So he is not going to say, oh, you know, you're reading this version of the Bible, so I'm not going to bless you. You understand? I'm not going to speak to you. Because God, God examines our hearts, folks. See, God is the only true person, the only true thing or the only true God is the only one that can truly examine the heart of man. We don't even know what's in our heart really. The only time we know in our, what's in our heart is when we speak it. The Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So when we speak, we know what's in our heart, but God is the only one that can examine the heart of man. And that is really what makes us want, what really sets us apart or makes us into what we call a remnant people. Okay, you've heard me talk about before remnant people, and we're going to get into that tonight in our teaching. But uh, if you will, I'd like you to open your Bibles to the, to the book of Ephesians. That's Paul's epistle to the Ephesians or to the church at Ephesus. And while you're doing that, let me tell you a little bit about this place that we're going to read about, this church at Ephesus. First of all, we're reading, we're, we're reading what's called an epistle. An epistle is a fancy religious word for a letter. I mean, this is Paul. Paul's just this dude who got saved. He got saved on the road to Damascus, as you know. And, and you know, he, Paul, we're, we're going to touch on who Paul was in a second, but he's just this guy who got saved. And, and the interesting thing is that this could be, you know, Henry's letter to the people in Miami or Michael's letter to the people at Port St. Lucie. My son's with us tonight, Michael. So um, it could be it could be Dee's letter to the folks back in Poland. It could be anybody's letter. You see, there's nothing special about Paul except for Paul is a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this place, Ephesus, well, Ephesus was a place in, uh, in Roman times, um, shortly after the, 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 uh, the crucifixion and the, the, the death and resurrection of our Lord, and, and his, of course, his, his subsequent ascension to the heavens, and he is the only one that has ever ascended to the heavens and sat, took the right-hand side uh, next to the Father, right? Ephesus was in Asia. It was a port city, it's, uh, you could call Ephesus New Orleans, you could call it San Francisco, you could call it Miami. It's a port town. Okay, so what would happen is the merchants from Eastern Asia would come across and they'd bring their stuff, okay, from the markets in Asia, 
and they would put them at the port and they would put them on boats back to Rome. So that's where they would get all the, the really good stuff, you know, all the, the different things that, that, uh, that Asia had to offer that, of course, the Roman government, you know, wanted for, for, uh, for Nero and, of course, for all the different, uh, for the different uh, uh, emperors at the time. I found out something very interesting today. Uh, do you realize that Nero took over? Uh, and, and when you look at the popularity of Nero and just how cruel he was, he took over the Roman uh, Empire at 17 years of age. It's amazing. It, it's, it is a very, if you go to the podcast and you, um, and you look at some of the notes up on the podcast, and I didn't print them out for you tonight, but they are available on the webpage. And there are some intriguing notes and history that I dug up on, on looking at this place called Ephesus. It really was the, the, just the central place to be in that time. It was the third largest, uh, the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It had, it had 200 or 200, between two and 300,000 is what I read, inhabitants. So you had people from all over the place. And this was really a place where they had the, remember in the book of Acts where they had the big, the big deal with the, with the goddess Diana and the whole, the whole temple situation with the goddess of Diana and all the people screamed for like three hours in the, in the theater. I could just go off on a tangent about the whole thing. But you can read a lot about what was going on in Ephesus. Paul spent three years there and a lot of the book of Acts talks about his ministry in Ephesus, the letters that he wrote to Philippi later and to, uh, and there's a couple of other letters he wrote, a couple of other epistles, which are letters, he wrote uh, to, I believe it was to, even to Corinth, were, were written from jail in Ephesus. Now we don't know what landed Paul in jail, but it's pretty safe to assume that what landed him in jail was, uh, was this, whole, this whole thing with the uh, ministry of the gospel and of course, you know, these people were ultra-religious and they had all their other religious, you know, their other religious systems going on. So Paul, of course, he came in to kind of disrupt some stuff. So that's some background on this place named Ephesus. I think it's a very interesting place. And we sometimes read the scripture and we forget that this is, this is the story of man as well as the story of God. So it's really important that when we look at this scripture, we understand that these are people. These are not, these are not anointed cherubs or, you know, they're not holy, holy people that are, that are, you know, that are to be held in higher esteem. These are, these are doctors and lawyers and tax collectors and prostitutes and, you know, all these things that we have today. So really, when you talk about the Bible, Listen, look at yourself. This, this book is about you as well. So, what we're going to do here is we're going to go and uh, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Well, Paul, first of all, is, uh, as you know, Paul is an apostle. And what an apostle does is an apostle sets up churches. Christ said, go out and tell people the gospel. Make disciples of them. An apostle, the 12 apostles, notice that they were first the 12 disciples and then they became the 12 apostles. You see, what's the difference between a disciple and an apostle? Well, an apostle is out there planting churches, man. He's out there, you know, going out there and raising buildings. And Paul was an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, this means 
that Paul did not do this of his own will. Paul didn't wake up one day and say, well, you know, I'm going to become an apostle. No, Paul actually, Saul of Tarsus, okay, was actually a Christian hater. Paul was, or Saul was, was riding down the road of Damascus on his horse and, and a big light came out of the sky and knocked and he fell off his horse. The voice of Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, and who are you, Lord? Notice how he noticed who Jesus was. He noticed Jesus' divinity. I mean, think about it. If I'm riding down the street, a big light comes out of the sky and knocks me off my horse (laughs) and starts voice out of heaven, starts talking to me and saying, you're persecuting me. I guess I would call him Lord too in the physical. But at the same time, let's look at what happened in the spiritual. Paul was instantly saved. Because why? Well, he recognized the lordship of Jesus Christ. You understand, when you meet Jesus and you recognize his lordship, Jesus said, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, amen, you will be saved, right? Is there any other criteria for that? No, that's it. So what happened? So Paul They fell off his horse and he recognized the divinity of Jesus Christ and said, what is it, Lord? And he said, you've been persecuting me, man. You've been bugging me, dude. And I, you know, I have need of you. Now, the scripture, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, and those of you Bible scholars that are listening to the, you know, to the teaching and say, oh, he's terrible part of the Bible. Hey, I'm telling a story, man. You know, give me, cut me some slack. But, you know, the whole idea is Jesus said, I have need of you. Not that Jesus needs anything, but God wants to use us. It's like when, I, when, I'm, when I'm working with, with something out in the yard or, or whatever, and I call one of my kids and I say, hey, David or, or, or Kelly or what have you, you know, come and help me with this big box. I need to move it. And they'll push the box a little bit and, they'll, and I'll move the majority of the box and be like, wow, daddy, we, we really did a lot today. And yeah, we did. I didn't have need of them, but I wanted them to feel involved. I wanted them to understand that I have a job to do. And I want them to be a part of it. Do you understand that Jesus has a job to do on this earth? And he wants to use you to do that job. He wants to use you to go out and to tell people about him. What is this by the will of God thing? Well, it's by God's will. People say, well, God gives you free will. Well, actually, no, he doesn't. Now, this may be a little radical for you because you probably always heard that God gives us free will. Free will, by definition, means that there is no consequence for your decision, okay? What God does is actually God gives you a number of choices that you make, and he defines the path of what's going to happen if you take this choice or that choice. Does it look like Paul had a choice when he got knocked off his horse by Jesus and blinded in the middle of the road to Damascus? He didn't really have a choice, did he? You see, so those people who tell you, well, you know, we have a choice. Listen, we're going to talk about predestination tonight if we get to it. Okay, but one of the things that people say, well, you know, God gives us a will. Yes, he does. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. Okay, and you can reject the Holy Spirit. The the, the scripture says that God will not strive with man forever. However, God will you know, will make himself known to you in such a radical way that you really have no choice but to give your life to him. 
I mean, when, when Saul saw the incredible thing that happened to him, how he was basically knocked off his horse, made blind, the light comes out, and, and, and he says, you know, you're persecuting me. He's like, what's that voice, man? And then he's blind, and he's wandering around. Well, what do you want me to do, Lord? And, and of course, Jesus gives him the, the, you know, tells him to go into, into town, and he's going to find a guy there, and, you know, and the whole story. And you can read about it in the book of Acts. But uh, continuing on, to the saints who are at Ephesus, and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Let's talk about this for a minute. First of all, let's talk about this saints thing. Do you realize that you guys are saints? Do you understand that you are saints? Real quick, let's, let's take a little detour here. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. And it says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Saints by calling. This means that you were called to be a saint with all who are in every place that have called upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so what we're talking about here is we're talking about if you're called of Jesus Christ, you're a saint. You see, the definition of saint is a person of exceptional holiness. Are you of exceptional holiness? A person sanctified. Aren't you sanctified by the blood of Jesus? One of the blessed in heaven. Are you blessed in heaven? Didn't Jesus say, I go to prepare a place for you? Right? Don't you have a place waiting for you in heaven? One of God's chosen people. Did not, did not Jesus say, you are my chosen people? Did not Jehovah say to the Israelites over and over how they're his chosen people? You understand? So are we beginning to see a, a pattern here? The term saints in the Greek is the word hagos. That's H-A-G-I-O-S. Okay, and that means to be set apart or holy. Okay, we have uh, friends in certain denominations that believe that saints are to be prayed to. Okay, and we don't pray to saints. When was the last time that, you know, I ever came up and said, you know, Saint Henry didn't happen. Or Saint D, or Saint Sandy, or Saint Leo. You're all saints. We're all saints. You see, because we're called and set apart for God's purpose. You understand? Now, let me clarify, because I've, I've had several conversations with very devout Catholics about this whole thing about praying to dead saints. And the folks that are very devout Catholics swear up and down, we don't pray to dead saints. We don't do that. Okay, fine. I'll buy that. I'll buy that if you are truly informed about your religious beliefs and the way that, that your denomination looks at sainthood. First of all, First of all, we're all saints. But besides that, if you choose to, to set somebody apart and say they lived an exceptional life, so they're a super saint, if you will, which is, of course, man's denomination or man's definition, right? But if we're going to start throwing man titles around, that's fine. We've got a super saint, super saint Teresa or super saint John Paul or what have you, okay? Now, what happens is when you've got a denomination of millions or hundreds of millions of people that are so focused on the traditions of the belief that instead of living by the Holy Spirit's anointing and the direction of the Holy Spirit, you're living more by tradition, of course, you're going to find people that are in error. Man is, is, is a creature that was created to worship. 
Okay, and with the lack of the Holy Spirit in his life, he will worship anything. And let me tell you, <laughs> look at some of the sick, twisted things that people worship without the Holy Spirit in their lives. You see what I'm saying? So this is why it's so important that we understand that sainthood or being a saint is something that every believer is. Every believer is a saint. If you believe in Jesus Christ and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Okay, and what does faithful mean? Well, it doesn't mean that, you know, I pray three times a day and I say four prayers of this kind and five prayers of that kind. Jesus said, if you love me, then you'll follow my commandments. And that, and what are those commandments? Love thy neighbor as you love yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind. Those are the biggest commandments when Jesus was asked. That doesn't mean that the other eight don't matter. But if you do the first two, man, you're, gonna, you're, you're probably not going to go killing your neighbor or coveting his wife or you know, stealing his stuff or any of that. Okay, and here, let's look at Christ Jesus. Well, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, how many of us look at Lord Jesus Christ? That's his name. His name's Lord Jesus Christ. Lord is his first name. Jesus is the middle name. And Christ is the last name. Well, let's look at this. First of all, Lord is what he is. Do you realize that we are servants of God? Now, this may not sit right with some people, but we are servants, dude. That's all there is to it. You are a slave of God. God created you to serve Him, whether you like it or not. And if you don't like it, you're in rebellion. That's too bad. You didn't write the book. He did. And the reality is that we are slaves of Christ. Of, Je of Jesus Christ, because he is Lord. He's the boss. He's the big dog. He's the guy who calls the shots. Okay, the Bible says in the book of John, in the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus said, I am the word. So Jesus and God are one. Jesus and God the Father are one. He said to, he said to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because the Father and I are one. Right? So Jesus and his lordship, that's his rightful place in the life of man. Well, Jesus, what does Jesus mean? Well, Jesus means Yeshua, okay, in Hebrew, which is God with us, okay, or God our Savior. Okay, and Christ, well, when, when Jesus said to Peter, who do they say I am? Okay, now that, that shows that Jesus isn't walking around saying, Hi, Jesus Christ, nice to meet you. How are you doing? Well, thank you, Mr. Christ. How are you? How's, how's Joe and Mary Christ doing? No. Didn't work that way. There wasn't no such thing as a Joseph and Mary Christ. I know it's kind of ludicrous, but believe it or not, folks, there are a lot of people out there that think Christ is this guy's last name. And it's not. Christ is a title. Do you know what it means? It means Messiah. Why do you think that the Pharisees would get so mad? Why do you think Saul of Tarsus, who called himself the Pharisee of Pharisees, hated Christians? Christian means a disciple of the Messiah, of the Savior of the world. You understand? So Jesus, it's not Mr. Christ or Mrs. Christ. It's Jesus the Christ. He says, he says, who do they say I am? Peter says, thou art the Christ. The Christ. The Savior of the world. The Messiah. You understand? And that is why he is Lord Jesus Christ. The Savior of this world, 
yesterday, today, and forever. He's always been from the beginning and He will always be until the end of the age and beyond. Amen? <laughs> Let's move on to verse 2. You see how this is going, right? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Well, wait a second. I'm telling you, this is juicy, man. Juicy. Juicy. Grace to you and peace. Well, why didn't he say peace to you and grace? Well, it's very simple. You don't know the peace of God until you know the grace of God. See, understand that when you're not under grace, you're not at peace with your Creator. When you, as long as you continue to think that you can do it, you can meet up to God's standard. I'm going to get into heaven because I'm a better person than so and so. And I can get into heaven because I walked five little old ladies across the street and I saved five, five puppy dogs from dying at the Humane Society. I, I'm going to go to heaven because I gave $5,000 to the church. When we get to the point of stopping telling God how good we are, how much God needs us. You've heard me joke up here about, you know, when I decided to do God the service of getting saved. You know, God doesn't need your salvation. We go to God and we say, hey, you know, God, I'm going to give you my life. All of it, man. Every single last little cotton pick and sin filled part of it. And you're going to give me eternal life because I deserve it. No, no. You know, there's a, a beautiful acronym for the word grace. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. That's God's riches at Christ's expense. You have nothing, absolutely nothing to do with your salvation. You have nothing to do with your salvation. Did Paul or Saul at the time have something to do with his? We just established earlier he did not. So therefore, you are not to be Telling God, well, you know, God, I, I deserve. No. And, and this is difficult because some of us, you know, we get saved. And, and when I first got saved um, in 1995, I was doing some horrible things in my life. And when I really realized who Christ was and who I was not, I really felt remorseful. How many of you people came to the Lord and really understood that, you know, what a wretch I really was? And it's so subtle, you don't realize you're doing it. You start and you start just going to church. And then you start wanting to get involved in church. And then you, by the time you, you, you figure it out, you're in church five days a week. And I'm certainly not saying that being in church five days a week is a bad thing. Being around the brethren is a great thing. Okay, and, and, and we are the body of Christ, and I would be awfully freaky looking if I wasn't around my arms and my legs enough. Okay, so as the body of Christ, we are kind of to stick together and to be a moving organism. But really, when we first come to the Lord and we get saved, man, we just feel, God, you've done such a great thing for me. How can I pay you back? And, and we really try until somebody like my wonderful pastor at the time sits me down under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And says, Mikey, we got to talk, man. We really got to talk. Because the Holy Spirit, God loves you so much. God wants to just be the center of your life. I said, but he is, pastor. He really is. He says, no, no. God's already accepted you. Do you realize that before the foundation of the world was laid, that Christ accepted you? God knew what you were going to be. And in spite of that, he accepted you anyway. You understand? So what is that? That's grace, man. 
That's love that's undeserved. When he just started talking to me, and I really hope that the Holy Spirit is ministering to somebody right now within the sound of my voice, to really understand the love that God has for you. Not for you people, but for you. You. You can hear me right now. And he's telling you he loves you. And he died on a cross for you. And you can never pay him for that. And he doesn't want you to. Imagine that. He doesn't want you to pay for that gift. <laughs> Imagine if, if somebody brought you a gift. If, if, if the next birthday party you have, somebody brings you a gift. And, 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 and you look at it and you say, that's beautiful, man. That's such a wonderful gift. How much owe you? You know, or, or if you, you know, you started, okay, guys, these are beautiful gifts, man. So everybody leave your receipt at the door and I'll have my accountant send you a check. Wouldn't that be insulting? If you, especially, imagine being on the receiving end of that conversation. Man, I went and I, I saved up money to buy this gift. And I, I, I went to the store and I walked to the store for hours and hours at a time. And I realized their birthday and stuff. And I, and I bought them a gift. And now they want to pay me for it when all I want to do is see the smile on their face? If that's how we feel giving people gifts for birthdays or Christmas or whatnot, how do you think God feels whenever we try and pay for the gift he gave us of his son, Jesus Christ? You feel me? You see what I'm saying? It's not a gift that we could ever pay for. I'll never forget, man, I sat there weeping like a baby, saying, for me? I felt like an idiot. For me? For me? He did it for me? And I just sat there and I must have repeated it for like five minutes. For me? And just weeping, man, and just saying, my Lord, I can't believe you did that for me. And that was such a revelation of the Holy Spirit showing me grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. And after that, after that, and only after that, when I came to the peace and understanding that God was my Father and God wanted to give me everything he had as my inheritance. And that was when I got what the Bible calls the peace that surpasses all understanding. You see, so Paul is saying a lot here, just in the beginning of this epistle, grace, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Do you realize, folks, that there are people, okay, that do not have this peace in their lives? Well, you can't have grace you can't have peace if you don't have Jesus. That's all it is. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Notice here, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. How many times do you walk into a church nowadays and hear about God's spiritual blessings? I can tell you how many churches I walk into and hear how God wants to bless you. I actually heard somebody refer to... Uh, referred to this weekend. I was watching I was watching Christian television. I'm ashamed to say that I saw a guy preaching and he was talking about when I walk up to a Coke machine, I put a dollar into that Coke machine and I put my hand out after I push the button because I'm expecting a Coke to fall into it. And then he then he follows to say, most of you treat God worse than a Coke machine. You put a dollar in, you don't expect something back. Have we reduced God the Lord Jesus Christ, to comparing to a Coke machine? Is that really what kind of people we've become? Where we can't talk spiritual things at a spiritual level? We need to compare to Coke machines? God will share his glory with no Coke machine. He won't share his glory with no one else either. Paul talks about this 
spiritual blessings, the spiritual blessings, the peace that surpasses all understanding, the weaponry that we have as believers. You realize that when you got saved, you became a member of God's army. Those spiritual blessings include spiritual tools to help you live a better physical and spiritual life. Notice it says, spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Don't say your treasure's here on earth, man. When was the last time you ever saw a hearse followed by a U-Haul? Doesn't happen. You can't take it with you. Job said, naked I came into this world. Naked I'll go out of it. You see? So what do you need to do? You need to store up your treasures in heaven. You need to focus on your spiritual blessings. Many of us are so concerned on getting the physical blessings. Well, God wants to give me a new Cadillac. Well, God wants to give me a new Mercedes. God wants to give me a new house. And God's going to give me, 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 give me. Wait a minute. God already gave you spiritual blessings. And that's it, man. Everything else. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all other things will be given unto you. Just as he chose you in him before the foundation of the world. Understand that you don't need to chase this stuff down, man. If Jesus is the king of kings, right? And I've said this before, but it always bears saying again. And he's the Lord of lords, right? And God has no grandkids, right? Okay, so... What are you? Aren't you a king's son or a king's daughter? Doesn't that make you a prince or a princess? Well, do princesses and princes worry about their royalty or do they just assume it? Do they just walk in it? Now, granted, they walk in this haughty human authority where they walk with their nose in the air. Hello, I'm a king's kid and I deserve it all. No, I don't deserve it all because of who I am. But the Bible says that in him, in him. Who's that? Him with a capital H. That's Jesus. Before the foundation of the world, before you ever knew who Jesus was, Jesus knew exactly who you were, right? That we should be holy and blameless before him, again, with a capital H. But see, we should, here it's saying, it's not we should be like you know, we should be like this. We should be like that. We should be is a fancy way of saying that we are holy before him. What does holy mean? Well, holy means sainthood or sanctified. It means to be set apart. It means that God has set you apart for himself. He said, hey, Mikey, you're all mine, dude. You're holy. You're holy. Why do you want to be conducting yourself like that? Don't you know you're holy, man? Don't you know I gave my son for you? Don't you know that before the sun was ever hung, before the earth ever came into passing, I knew your name, I knew who you were. He presented us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Adoption. See, why, why are we through adoption? Well, because Jesus is the only begotten son of God. All of us were adopted. So when you go up there, when you die, God is going to look at, at Christ. God the Father is going to look at Christ and say, who is this guy? Christ is going to say, Father, he's mine. I adopted him. He's mine. Oh, okay. Well, come on in. Any son of his, son of mine. Come on in. Come on in. You see, you've been adopted according to the kindness and intention of his will, which means that he willed that this would happen. 
He willed that you would be adopted. He willed that you would get saved. To praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Now, what does that mean? When somebody bestows something upon you, they give it to you. Here you go. This is bestowed upon you. I give you a gift and that gift is grace. Again, it's not, grace is not something that we can we can attain for ourselves. In verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of our trespasses. According to what? The riches of his grace. Again, more about the riches of his grace. Why, why do we equal riches with grace? Well, grace is priceless. What do you think one drop of Jesus' blood is worth? We're such a, a, a society that's, that's focused on the worth of things. Christ is God. He came down and shed that precious blood of His and gave it for you. Okay, which He lavished upon us. Have you ever been lavished? Has anyone ever lavished you with something? You ladies, have you ever lavished yourself? You ever go out to the beauty parlor, you know? And you go and you fix your hair and you, you, know, you fix your nails and you fix your toenails and you... You know, you put on makeup. I'm not one of those people that, that doesn't believe in makeup. You know, there's, there's some legalistic folks that, uh, that say, well, you know, we, we like women to be natural. And I figure if the barn needs paint and honey, paint it, you know. <laughs> so, you know, and, and believe me, I have no problem. I love paint. Okay. The, hey, listen, the, it, there's nothing wrong with that. Paul is writing here to the Ephesians. Remember, this is a time in Ephesus where there's all kinds of religious systems and gods and and these people had never heard of grace. Do you realize that Christians, okay, or all remnant Christians, live life by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, by the Spirit alone. You understand? The reason I keep saying alone, Michael, is because it's by grace, by faith, in Christ by the Spirit alone. But alone is meant for emphasis. You understand? But all other religious denominations, all other, if you're a Hindu, it's by works. If you're a Buddhist, it's by works. If you're a, if you're a Muslim, it's certainly by works. And, and none of these religions guarantee you salvation. <laughs> they all go, well, spin the dice. Come back a few times. Come back a few hundred times. You may come back as a donkey. You may come back as a horse. You may come back as a cow. You may come back as an ant. Better be nice to people. You know, or hey, run a plane into the, uh, into the World Trade Center and you'll have God knows how many virgins waiting for you up there. God, ridiculous. Like I said earlier, with the lack of the Holy Spirit, man will worship anything. Amen? He made known to us the mysteries of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. What does that mean? He made known to us. Well, how do, we, how do we get mysteries known to us? By the Holy Spirit, right? This is the whole idea of reading this book. If you start reading this book, man, imagine if you didn't have the anointing in your life and you started reading this. It's like, what is this talking about, man? I didn't understand until I really got baptized in the Holy Spirit and said, hey, Lord, make this word real to me, right? With a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times. That means to the end of time. Okay, see, time is going to come to an end. 
Okay, that is the summing up of all things, all things in Christ. Things in the heavens and things upon the earth. In Him. Now this is going to bring us to a very interesting area here. If I have a bag of sugar, right? And I tell you, Sandy, I'm going to give you this entire bag, this all this bag of sugar. Right? But I open the bag first. And I pull out all the cubes. And I pull them aside and I throw them in the sink. Now I give you the bag and I say, here, Sandy, here's, the, here's all the bag of sugar. Did I just give you the whole bag? Okay. Yet we are out there preaching a gospel that says that God just couldn't do it with some. So what's going to happen is that at the end of the age, at the end of time, the great white throne judgment is going to come. God is going to throw Satan and all the non-believers into Gehenna, okay, or the fire, and then he's going to restore all. Well, wait a minute, no. Didn't we just establish that all means the entire? You understand? So what's going to happen here? The scripture is pretty clear. If the scripture says all, it means all. Everybody say all. All. Does that mean part? No, right? So all means all. In the end of the age, God is going to restore all things to himself. Why? Because he's God. Everything in the heavens and upon the earth. He's going to restore it to himself. Okay, does that mean that, that well, people say, well, what, what does that mean? Well, that, that means a whole lot of things that we're not going to touch on on this teaching right here. But let me tell you, I, I, I can tell you when you really understand the true gospel and what that really means where all, say all, all means all. Okay, you are going to rejoice and jump up and down and sing and dance because God has not fallen off the throne. God is not going to lose 80 or 90% of the world like right now with your health hell directed right now because God is such an impotent God that he can only save a few and he'll throw the rest into a burning lake of fire to burn forever and ever and ever because you know that the devil, he, uh, he snuck up on Eve. He you know, tempted her. She ate from the apple and God's been in the business of damage control ever since. Does that make sense? Because that's the gospel we teach. You see? Also, we have obtained in, 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 an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things, say all, all things, or and actually in the Greek, the word things isn't there. So it just says, who works all, say all, after the counsel of his will. See, this is the thing. Man takes too much credit for his own salvation. Man thinks that he did it. Man thinks that God's been sitting up there waiting on you, man. How many of you guys would buy a lottery ticket next Monday if I gave you the numbers and I assured you that you'd know what it was? Of course you would. Predestination means the following. It means that God preordained your salvation. From the beginning of the world, God knew, okay, if you go to the racetrack or you go somewhere where you're going to see a dog race or whatever, if you know the winning dogs, okay, you're not going to write the losing dog numbers down, right? right? Because you foreknew which dogs were going to win, 
Okay? Well, God foreknew what you were going to do before you ever did it. He picked you. He called you. He said, well, that's not fair. God, you know, God gets to choose who gets to be a Christian or not. Well, I've never heard anybody come to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, God, God said, well, sorry, dude. <laughs> you didn't make it, man. We didn't pick you. Sorry, you got to get out of here. You can't be a Christian. Sorry. You know, they say, well, well, I, well I'm not a Christian. Well, become one. But I don't want to be. Well, then maybe God didn't pick you, man. If I'm having a big Bible study at the, uh, at the Orange County Arena over here, okay, and I, I rent out the arena, I pay everybody's, everybody's seat. There's seats there, and there's enough room for, for 50,000 people. And I've got a list of 50,000 people. So I send each and every person in that list a ticket or an invitation say, hey man, I bought your ticket. I paid for your seat. I've already, I've already made plans for you to be here. I've predestined or predetermined that you will be here. So I went out and paid for your seat. You understand, this is what predestination is. It means that God, before the foundation of the world, predestined that it would be saved. Not part of it, but all of it. It's God's will that all be saved. Now, we run into a situation because we know, obviously, in the condition of the world today, all will not be saved. Okay, But ultimately, God will restore things to himself. Because the scripture here says he will. It's his will to restore. Again, there is no such thing for mankind as free will. You have God's choice of will. God has laid out the choices for man. If you go this way, if you accept Jesus as your savior, when you die, you are immediately transformed. Okay, and you are immediately in heaven at the beam of seat of judgment for your reward. If you do not... You suffer time and space until the end of the age where God will restore all things to himself. And how will he restore all things to himself? He will restore all things to himself by a trial of fire. John said that I baptize you in water, but he who comes after me will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. Do you ever see Jesus baptize anybody in fire? Not yet, right? But he will. He will. He will baptize people in fire. See, when, when you read the scripture, that's actually brimstone. Well, brimstone actually stands for God fire. And God will restore all things to himself. Here it says it. Here it says it, that he will restore, that it's his will for all. Say all. All. After the counsel of his will. Not our will. We may not like what I'm talking about here, but I'm not saying it. Does somebody see something here that I don't see in the scripture? All I see that contradicts what we see here in the scripture is what a bunch of people have interpreted. But what we're seeing here in the scripture is given to us by the Holy Spirit. Amen? So this is, this is a big thing about predestination. God doesn't pick any losers. So there's no way that you're going to come to God and he's going to reject you. If you came to God today, I don't care what your situation is, if you're, if you're in bondage of whatever kind, Jesus cleans his fish after he catches them. 
Amen. Jesus said to go out and be fishers of men. It's a matter of giving your life to Christ, living the grace and the peace that God wants to give you, that God gave you already. All he's doing is waiting for you to walk into the arena and sit down at the seat. He already predestined you to have it. And this is the message of true hope and salvation that Paul was bringing to the people at Ephesus. You see, and this is something that these guys had never heard before. They were used to sacrificing things on the altar. and this is, They'd never heard this grace thing. They never heard of this Jesus thing. They never heard that that wasn't necessary anymore. These, God was appeased by the blood of Jesus. Do you know God's not mad at you? God's not mad at anybody. God's not even angry at the sinners. The Bible says that for God so loved the world. Does that sound like an angry God to you? God so loved the world that he sent... He chose to send. He sent his only begotten son that while we were yet sinners, he would die for us. God is not mad at us, folks. God loves us. And God gave his only begotten son for us. And he wants you to join him in heavenly places for eternity. Amen? Amen. Father, we give you thanks and praise for this day. We thank you, Lord, that you've spoken to us tonight, Lord. Father, we just uh, give you thanks for this Bible study. And Lord, we just ask you to just continue to grow it and to, to feed us to feed us from your living word. Father, continue to give us revelation throughout this week as we continue to study this wonderful book called Ephesians. Lord, bless us in our coming in and our going out. Let us be salt and light to the world, Lord. Let us talk to others about you and let them know that we're excited to be your kids, Lord God. Again, we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.